Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today's episode will be part of my guest series, and I have an amazing guest today. Her passion just blew me away. Her name is Korbalagai Kwewoki. She is a kindergarten teacher extraordinaire. She's the founder of Teach My Kinder. She helps preschool kindergarten moms and parents to stop stressing, to stop feeling overwhelmed about their children's reading progress so they can focus on their children learning to read while having fun. She's passionate about sharing early literacy information uh, to help parents take a more active role in their children's learning. So the following is my conversation with Orville Guy. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. All right, Corbella guy, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on my show. We've had a pre-conversation that we really should have recorded. So <laughs> about kids and, and your experience and how passionate you are about children and what you do. So share with my audience what you just shared with me. Tell me about your passion. Tell me about that journey. How did you arrive at doing what you do? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. I just, I love listening to your podcast. It really connected with, with me and how I view children and work with them. So it's such a joy to be here, honestly. Um, well, my path to where I am started way back in the day when I thought I was going to be a doctor mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had done all the, the prereq courses in high school, you know, the life sciences, dissecting the frog. I was going to work in medicine, but with children. Right. And I, I told my parents and my mom was supportive. She's in the medical field. She's a pediatric nurse. And my dad said, baby, I know you, <laughs> you may change your mind. Don't declare when you go at, you know, just see what else is out there. My mom just said, take a child development course because most people don't understand young children. If you're going to work with them, you need to understand them. I said, all right, good. No problem. Get to university of Kansas, go Jayhawks. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I, had, I took my child development course and they told us we had to go to a daycare on campus. And I still like, I remember just talking about it. I can see it. I can feel it. I walked in on that first day and looked at those babies and thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Wow. I'm going to be here in this classroom with these wonderful little people. Like mm-hmm. that was, and the thing I always say, I, I KU is dear to my heart because of the way they trained us. Mm-hmm. They always told us, you are a parent's ally. Mm-hmm. You don't know everything. Your job is to come alongside them. Mm-hmm. and support them as they are raising their child. You have these particular skills that they need you for, but that's their child. So you love them as much as you can. That's and their can. baby. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even though they're mine, <laughs> I called them my kids and I called my parents, my parents, they were mine. Um, but it was, it's just been an amazing journey since then. Um, I've been able to go from University of Kansas, teaching in Kansas to working abroad and living abroad for years and years, doing governmental work in early childhood because spunky 18 year old me said, well, if I'm going to be a preschool teacher, they need to listen to us. <laughs> they don't listen to what we have to say. And we know what's happening. And I need to advocate. And that's what I've done 
strength. I somehow knew that's what I was going to do. That's so gone and said being able to advocate for children and, and families and preschool teachers and just Wonderful. it's been amazing. So needed, so needed. And in the pre-interview, we were talking about, you know, that I think it's our, our most underrated resource, children. Like we talk about all the world's problems right now and the mess that we're in. If we could just raise happier, healthier, nicer, kinder, more well-adjusted, well-loved people, that would solve a lot of problems, a lot. So I love that you're out there doing that. That's amazing. Tell me about the advocacy piece. Like, tell me what, what are, what's your messaging? What do you want people to know? What do you want governments to know? I want, and this is why I loved the work I was doing in the UAE. I want people, governments to know that a child's parent is their first and most important teacher. We need to look at the family unit and how, how are you structuring society to support parents in raising their children because I've done work in developing countries uh pro bono work and I've also worked with like the World Bank on different projects in West Africa but when I was in the Middle East one of the big things we did was changing the early childhood setting from just care to education and care because I love their leadership they said the basically the mental weight that mothers are carrying when their child is away from them, we need to let them know that their child is in a place that will care for their child, but give them um, some education as well. So they know that they're doing what's best for their child while they're away pursuing their own goals. So we need to work with the family unit. And that, That's that spoke to me. <laughs> that really spoke to me. So, yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It's interesting. I'm, 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 first of all, I love your passion. I can hear it and see it in your face. It's amazing. And the, 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 the most important piece there is parents also have to feel safe and comfortable and happy so they can access the best part of themselves to parent. If you're traumatized and struggling or upset, or, you know, you don't have resources, you're going to still do your best, but it is really hard. It makes it so much harder. I also find too, and it'll be interesting to hear what you have to say about this. There, there's so many different sort of parenting models out there, right? Mm -hmm. So many, some are very much focused on attachment and what's, you know, connection, which is all wonderful and amazing, but, you know, don't say no and no can upset kids and let's let them make their own decisions. And then there's other parenting methods that are, you know what, this is about setting limits and consequences and, you know, behavior management. And it's all about that. For connected parenting, and you know, I think our, I think the biggest part of it is about integration. Or it's, it's about knowing you have to have loving limits because kids need limits. We were talking kindergarten kids a bit a minute ago. <laughs> they know who's they don't want you. They don't want to be in charge, right? Oh. Um, and they feel safe when they feel that that kind of structure, but they also need to feel loved and understood and cared about. And I think for, for parents to have access to that kind of information so that they can um, draw from that. And a lot of this is innate with parents. Like they know what to do. They just get so overwhelmed by competing information, right? But, and, and at Connected Parenting too, we also, we teach the parent to do what therapists do, right? Like we teach that you're not necessarily born with all those strategies. So I think that's so, so important. I really do. So I love what you're doing. Tell me more. I want to hear more about your world, your life, your work. Well, 
so what I ended up doing, um, cause COVID hit and everything was falling apart and I'm across the world from my family here in the U S and, and I started getting calls from friends. Cause they all know me as the kindergarten teacher. They didn't quite know what I was doing over there. Right. Right. They're like, help us. You teach kindergarten. I'm like, oh, well, I haven't taught kindergarten a little bit, but that's all right. I still know my stuff and I'm a hoarder because most teachers are. I have tons of things to send you. (laughs) So it started out having conversations with them, telling them, um, being surprised, A, they weren't sure where their children should be, what they should be doing, which was strange for me because, again, as your partner, as a parent, I'm telling you everything. You're getting emails from Miss Kwewogi every Mm -hmm. single day hey this is what we did these are the questions you may want to ask because you know if you talk to your kindergartner what'd you do at school today I played with my friends yeah all right that's all you did you played all day yep (laughs) yep that's what they did it's not a lie but here's some information so you can help them recall their day and the richness of what was actually happening right exactly and that was my homework I was I was a renegade teacher. I didn't really believe in homework like that for kindergarten. Teachers are. (laughs) Teachers are also born. I think you're born a teacher. I do. Mm. I I wouldn't doubt it. I have my great aunt and my grandmother on my mother's side were both kindergarten teachers. One was a kindergarten principal. So I think it's in the blood. Yeah. I think it's in the blood. Yes. Yes. But it's just, but so having those conversations with my friends led to me saying, well, I don't want to keep having the same conversations over and over. (laughs) How else can I do this? I took a stab at blogging. So I started writing a little blogs about what you can do with your child and sending them and adding little PDFs. Hey, try, try this with your child. Um, And I don't want to see them sitting at the table all day either, because that's not what we do. (laughs) What am Uh I supposed to do with them? Pick them up and moving. Yes. They're kids. Okay. And um, then I started doing YouTube videos to give more ideas. Like the first one was so terrible. It was so funny. I was so nervous. <laughs> I was like, you have stood in front of 700 teachers to train, but put a camera in. Oh, it's a totally different thing. It's, I remember my first podcast. It was, I was absolutely, it was a mess and I was terrified. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. But so then it just snowballed. Cause I was like, you know what? I'm doing all this high level government work working with, I was flying to Liberia to work with NGOs there as well. Yeah. But the people that I really need to be touching are the parents. You need a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So then I started really just going straight to parents and working with a lot of, at at the early childhood level, it's usually moms. It is, yeah. Yeah, working with moms a lot about reading. And I had a friend who was like, why do you focus on reading so much? I'm like, it impacts everything we do. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. such a huge stressor and it's such a, a uh, it comes with a lot of judgment that parents feel about if their child knows their ABCs, if their baby can read. So let me. Well, and, and the kids also are aware. Mm-hmm. They know that the alligator group isn't the same as the, you know, the, the whatever group. So they're, they're very aware. It's, it's very defining. It can have a huge impact on the sense yep. of self for sure. It is. And I was yeah. like, if I can get to parents and let them understand how they can support without making it something children hate to do, because at the end of the day, you want them not only to learn how to read, but to love it. Because what's the point in having a skill if you don't use it? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Okay. So I love this because parents often ask me the same kinds of questions and they get very anxious that their kid isn't reading or this kid's in this special reading group. And there's so much more to reading, which I want to dig into, right? There's, there's comprehension, which is huge. There's decoding. And sometimes kids can decode, but they have no idea what they're reading. Yeah. So the parents think they're doing well, but they're not actually absorbing what they're learning. And there's lots of comparing, parents panic, so-and-so's reading already, or parents inflate, oh, my child's reading Harry Potter. No, your child is not reading Harry Potter. <laughs> it's true. It, it happens yeah. so much. It does. and But it's you're right. There's so much fear and anxiety, and it, it's such a big thing. And so what parents often do, so I want you to speak to this, is they'll make their kids do their 20 minutes of reading. They'll sit there, and the kid's like rolling down the chair, right? Mm -hmm. like, like sit up, sit up, sit up, read, start again. And it's turning reading into this unpleasant, um, not at all joyful experience. And the more the kid resists, the more panicked the parent gets. And usually on the other end of the teacher going, relax, make it fun, read to them, see if they can find a word. So I would love if you could help my listeners know what, what to do and what not to do when it comes to reading, because it, you can make a big old mess is what you can do. Yeah. The first thing I always say is like you just said, relax. Okay. This is, they will get it if we do it right, when we do it right and doing it right at the kindergarten level, actually at all levels, what you hear is what you'll read. I try to get that message across because often we skip steps when parents want kids to read, they are, okay, let's put the, the alphabet, let's show them the sight words, let's, no, 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 no. Can they hear these sounds? Mm. Can they identify the individual sounds in a word? Don't even put letters in front of them. Like I just, before we got on, I just did a little video that I'm going to share about um, children struggling with blending words. Mm. And one uh, tactic that worked for me and worked for many children is if they are struggling to um, blend letters together to read a word like mm, ah, mm, man, take away the letters. Mm -hmm. Say the word to them. Say it, say each sound, have them repeat it, have them try and blend it together. Those are phonemic awareness skills. Yeah. And the problem is, it's only in the past maybe four years, five years, I've heard the US start talking about phonemic awareness. And if you don't have those foundational, that's, that is a skill of a three, four, five-year-old. Mm -hmm. If you miss that, and then you want me to add letters on top of that, but I yeah, never yeah. learned to, it, it makes it harder for me. It makes Absolutely. everything more difficult. So I okay. always tell them just, there's no problem in going back. Firm up right. that, that foundation. Can they get the roots growing, feel the word, right? Yeah. I like that. So really focusing on those core skills first, and you can do it in so many fun ways. Like I know one thing I always tell them, <laughs> I remember being on the bus playing Miss Mary, Mac, 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 all dressed in black. I'm like, that's mm -hmm. a phonemic awareness skill. A oh, child God. who can do that. All right, yeah. good. It's, fun. it's joyful. It is. There's patterns. It's yeah. And embed reading in your family life. I was a terrible speller and we played Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible speller too. <laughs> I, I struggled. And I realized looking back, we played a lot of games that addressed our weaknesses as children. It was just my mom did that. And I was like, you are so sneaky. 
that was that was not gonna be a fight i love that because play is children's national it that's their natural medium right if if you make it joyful if it speaks to them if you make it what do they call it kill and drill right oh it's yes just, it's not gonna speak to them or they'll want to oh. please you for an external reason um, and life is so much more nuanced and complicated than that. And clearly yeah. so is reading. So I love this. So I love the, the phonetic awareness. What that was that the phonemic. word? Phonemic. phonemic awareness, which is speaking and listening. That's, that's love like, that. And I love the idea of fun and joy mm-hmm. and games. And you had a smart mom. Look at that. Oh yeah. That woman is brilliant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my dad, I love you. The best, best decision I made in my life was marrying mm-hmm. that woman. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, just making sure they have those skills. And then when it's time to practice, make sure you're using things that actually interest them. So like, I loved the babysitter club books. Those, if you give me a babysitter club book, I will read that. I read the entire series. I remember my brother getting me one for Christmas one year and I was so excited. Get what, and my brother, he loved Archie comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, he will be up. We had bunk beds. The boys had bunk beds. And he'd be up on his bunk bed reading his Archie comics. Whatever yeah. that interested us. My one brother is a sports fanatic. He had all the sports magazines. Because reading doesn't just come in book form. And that was the thing I would always try to explain to parents. It's like, just get different, figure out what your child likes and then get text in that. I love so that. when it's time to do the reading, it's exactly. not a fight. Well, and parents get stuck on that. It's pictures. You're not really reading. No, you're making all kinds of connections and nuances. And what you're talking about is that relevancy, like high relevancy, high interest. That drives everything. That's why we learn. That's the main reason we want to learn. Yeah. We want to know more. It has to be, what is it? Do you remember? I'm sure you've heard it a lot when uh, with teenagers. Why do I need to know this? Yeah. What's the point? Why do I need to know this? When am I ever going to use this? Absolutely. It's a huge thing. And trying to find a way to help them see how it's relevant to them, find that magical way, that little key that turns, yeah. but that's really important. So I love that. And I love the, the, the fact that you love those books. First of all, I, I adore books. I, I, I adore books and I'm, I'm sure online reading and Kindles and stuff are also great, but there's something about a book in your hand. You smell the pages, right? And so when kids get their new book and it's on the shelf and it's part of their series, like there's a lot of connection and joy to that as well. And waiting for the next book and that's magic that no screen can give you, Yeah, honestly. And it's something that like, I personally, it it has stayed with me. I read the Janet Ivanovich, Stephanie Plum series and I wait every year. Is there another one coming? Is there another one coming? But it's, um, it's something that really stayed with me and it's something that now my nieces and nephews see like my nephew he's 10 loves football we went to his game then we went to eat lunch and I don't know how we got on the topic of reading oh because um oh I was talking about other things you can do when uh, besides football because football scares me <laughs> and uh his uncle who used to pro- play pro football was with us and he was talking about how much he loves to read and I said, oh, I love reading too. And I pulled out a book from my purse. And my nephew went, you just carry it with you? <laughs> you just walk around with books? <laughs> I love to read. I always have a book in my it. purse. I get it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's something that just becomes part of who we are, you know? And he said something that truly broke my heart. He said, you know, I used to like reading. 
until they made us do it in school. Mm. Until you made it a have to. Yeah. There's something that we're doing that's killing their joy. And I don't want parents to do that at home. Because at least if you're, if you are reinforcing their joy of reading, it's more tolerable when they get to school. And then they want, yeah, tolerable. And then they want more. Well, what's interesting too, just to back up for a second, when, when you were talking about how much you love books, right? If, if as a parent, I'm sure if you, if your children see you reading, Mm-hmm. See so you clutching a book to your chest going, oh, that was such a good read. That was amazing. Like if you can model and you don't have to model, just, just enjoy it. Just make it real. Let your kids see that. But what are, what are a lot of parents doing? They're on their phones. Yeah. Right. They are. Yeah. They're on their phones. And it's, it's a, it's a thing of walking a fine line of, I don't want to judge you. Yeah. And it's but, not going anywhere. We all have to do, I'm on my phone too. Like we, right. we have to all figure it out, but let them see you with a book, mm-hmm. right? Or even if you're on your phone, let them see that you're reading something yes. on your phone. I yes. do that with my niece. You're not just scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she will see we're playing a game. <laughs> we're playing a game. We do a lot of reading games mm-hmm. on the phone. We have a book that will, she'll see me reading sometimes. And she's three. So she gets to see that. Cause I'm like, you are a digital native. I cannot fight this. Yeah. So let me show you how to use it in a way that helps you. Absolutely. So I think that's another thing that, that parents can do just being a little bit more mindful yep. of making sure they're showing their children that reading is for many different purposes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just something you have to do. Yeah. Okay. What, so because reading is, it's such a stressful thing for parents. I mean, kids get stressed out about it too, but they gauge their response based on the parent. So when the parent is carrying that fear, when the parent is sitting beside them with that kind of energy, right? Making it not fun, making it not joyful. What are some things that they can do? Because what parents do now is they like read the word and then the kid's trying to sound it out. And then they've been sounding it out so much. They have no idea what they're reading anymore. Now they're sliding down the chair. Now the parents sit up, sit up, sit up. You've got to do your reading. You're never going to get good at this if you don't do it. So walk me through what, what, what can a parent do in that situation when the kid is saying, I don't want to do it. It's boring. I don't want to. And it's really hard. Like it, it, what, what's going, what they're going through in their mind and body is absolutely exhausting and constantly doing something that is hard is not fun. And we forget that when we're parents, but what can a parent do when their child is sliding down the chair and saying no? One thing I've uh, been thinking about a lot recently, and I don't know why it never hit me before, was peak performance times. Oh, I like yeah. this. Because <laughs> we don't think about it. And I thought about it with myself. I am a morning person, okay? 2 p.m. onward, my energy starts going down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Children are the same. So if your child is sliding down the chair, is it that this is hard? Is it that this is boring? Is it that mentally, I don't have space for this right now. And this needs to stop. Yes. So that's a good point. I think that's a, a piece that needs to come into play that we often don't think about with children. Cause I don't think we give ourselves that grace either. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Cause they're done. They are baked. They are finished mm-hmm. by the end of the day. They have been processing and thinking and learning and figuring things out and overwhelmed and overstimulated and they're tired. And in the parenting world, we talk about the, the kind of witching hour, like between five and seven is usually pretty ugly in a lot of houses. Like there's crying and they're fighting and you're exhausted and you're done at that time of day. And that's usually when homework 
like yeah. around four or five o'clock is when homework starts happening because parents are home from work. So that's a really good point. So could they do it in the morning, right? Could you split it up if you needed to? Can you do it more on the weekends? I love that idea. Yeah. You're that's not going to peak performance out of a five-year-old. No. And I love that about them because they are so authentic. They are so themselves. They will let mm -hmm. you know, I can't handle this right now. My little niece says, I can't do this. Like, okay, (laughs) you don't have to do it. Um, But the other thing I, I try to tell parents is uh, I give them this little exercise, sit and think of your child and what they enjoy doing, write down about five to 10 things they love doing. Because I can almost guarantee you, you can weave in reading practice into most of those things. And so even if they aren't at their peak performance, if it's something they enjoy, you stand a better chance of keeping them engaged. Absolutely. So for example, my little niece who I I keep sometimes, she comes and hangs out with me and we play the games and she loves the park. She loves to go outside and play. She doesn't know she's reading. And that's what I need. So I will do things like, I know she likes to run and be outside. I will hide the words that she's working on outside. And then she- That's an amazing idea. Yeah. I love that. It is so simple. Brilliant. And oh, wow. Okay. I love it. I will hide and I will take, let's say she's working on three words a week. I will make double copies of each and put them around. So she's running from place to place, but you have to find the matches. So look at you. find it, read it, and then go find the match. And, and they're using motor skills. They're yes. running, they're happy, they're investigating, they're searching. I love this so much. Yeah. I can hear parents saying, that sounds amazing. I don't have time for that. But I would think, I think we'll both have the same answer. I don't think you had, don't have, like, you have time, you don't have time not to do that. Yeah. You're going to yeah. either have a kid sliding down the chair, crying, mad at you, now associating homework or, or learning with, with, mm-hmm aggravation and tears or you're going to have a joyful fun experience it's your choice yeah yeah and you know the thing is i i i would take little um index cards um i have a printer and a laminator because you know teacher can't help it but (laughs) (laughs) get little index family of teachers i totally get this they drive me crazy but i love it (laughs) i love us label do you need a label do you want me And I would just laminate them and then they sit and they would sit in a little basket by the door. So some days, and I also have painter's tape because I'm not going to mess up the walls or the door paint. Mm-hmm. So some days I will pick, um, take the, the words and stick them on the back of the door. And before we go outside, she has to find the matches and read them to me and hand them to me. Or sometimes I just hand them to her and she gets to put them on and read them out. And she loves it. And it's simple things like, um, I'll take them, put them behind my back. Ooh. I have a tricky one for you today. It's the same words. Yes. <laughs> it's just the way I present it to her. Present it. Just and the then she, yeah, and then she gets to do it with me. She goes, it's a tricky one. Can you read it? See, I of love course that. I get it wrong. So then she can correct me. <laughs> oh my gosh. See, this is so, and it's really quite simple. And if you can't, and this you could do, if you have multiple kids, you can do this at home. You don't have to go to a park. Like you can make this happen. I <laughs> love the fun element. And even things like, what was it? One morning she wanted oatmeal and um, they're trying to make the oatmeal and get out the milk. And it was the last little bit of milk and it was a carton. I put it in the recycling and the three-year-old freaks out. And I'm like, what's wrong? It's the moon, the moon. She had found the letter M. Oh, And wow. so then she needed to keep it. 
<gasps> I was like, I can't be mad at you because we've been working on this. Take it, honey. Let's yeah. go. I'll rinse it out for you. So it's cool. things like just because I was thinking of hers. I love that. Because mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you did it when you were a kid, but I remember when we would eat cereal, reading the cereal box, even if I couldn't understand all the words. Yep. No, it's, and it's a natural into when, and when children need to learn and they're curious, they will learn. Now I, so I am much older than you. So I just remember being traumatized in school about learning to read. Like the way you learn to read was you read in a circle. Yeah. Round Robin. I right? hate it. And you would sit there trying to figure out where they were going to be mm -hmm. when it was your turn and freak out. And the teacher would stay there until you got it right. And the kids would roll their eyes because. I mean, think that is that does not happen anymore. I hope ever I don't, anywhere. I, not in my classroom. <laughs> there, I I have trouble reading out loud to this day. Mm -hmm. This is why. So I'm. This is like off topic, but I I do the intro separately because when I'm reading the person's bio, I I have to do it like 25 times. <laughs> it's, it's you know for me it's math. I'm mm -hmm. like that with math, and I have yeah. a friend who was a math teacher, and she said, you know, math oh, is a thing. Yeah, and she's like, because most people don't know how to teach it because they're not good at it. They're not good enough at it to teach it. Yeah, and so yeah. they end up traumatizing the children they're trying to teach. And there's multiple ways to teach it, yeah. right? There's yeah. so there's reading trauma and there's math trauma. Yeah, and, I, and you don't want that. Like no. you need these two things to be successful in life. They're pretty much pillars. <laughs> <laughs> like you need it to be successful. You don't want children being stressed out about it. I mean, I, I just tell parents, any way you can add it to be, add fun to the mix. It doesn't need to look like, well, my older child worked this way. Why yeah. isn't working? It? Because that's and a different person. person. It's yeah. a different person. That's and all. sometimes, sometimes it clicks. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it just, they just have to kind of mull around with it and, and sit with it. And then all of a sudden there's like this click and it, and it happens and you can't force the click. What you can do is create the environment. Yes. That's what you need to do. Yeah. Parents do a lot of comparing. There's a lot of fear. Um, I remember my, my mom was also a teacher. She was a grade one teacher for years. And there was a point at which this became a real obsession to parents. I'm, I'm out of touch with like littler kids right now and what, what's necessarily happening with parents, but it was a thing where every, every parent was getting their kids tutoring, like before grade one, they'd go to all these reading places and, and so that they came into grade one reading and the parents were convinced that they were ahead and there's literally no research that shows that that will get you ahead at all and you know she'd have kids that have been to all these special reading programs and they were decoding they weren't necessarily mm -hmm. reading. some some were reading but the other kids who had been just playing and doing their own thing all caught up and they were all reading at the same level by the end of the year and it was so hard for her to convince parents that that was true because in other areas of life it makes sense Mm -hmm. to get ahead and crack down and do it over and over and over again. But it just doesn't seem to with reading. Can you speak to that a little bit for us? The thing is, um, in my experience, because I remember going, uh, we're doing a lot of um, curriculum analysis international. That was a lot of my work was benchmarking. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at Finland and Germany. Mm. Their children learn to read starting Eight. around nine. Yep. Great. Grade three, grade four. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's when they, they really start teaching them to read. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I'm like, it, it makes sense. 
So mm -hmm. all they're doing, because when I when you were talking about um, the kids who were playing versus the ones who were in these intensive programs, yeah. all I was thinking was they were building that background knowledge that comes into comprehension. Mm -hmm. That is part of the reason that though I advocate children learning the reading skills and whatnot, I want you to do it within a context that is enjoyable and fun and helps them build background knowledge gives them an enriched vocabulary. That's another thing I talk about all the time. You need to make sure you're actually giving them the things that matter so that they can read independently. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, I know I'm, I'm not a parent, so I really try to walk the line of I'm your, I'm you your, are, but you are an expert. So that's important. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And I don't want to, to the, the judgment. Cause I, I feel the pain of the judgment that parents feel because yep. uh, my brother and his wife have seven children and I've wow. seen I've them. Yeah. <laughs> Big yeah. I've seen them trying to make sure everyone gets what they need. And it's a lot of stress it and is. trying to explain this one needs this, but this one needs something else and it's okay. Okay. They'll catch up. They'll, they'll be just fine. Um, and I try to explain to parents in general that we're each very unique beings. I and my sister both love to read, like put us in a bookstore. We are in heaven, mm -hmm. but one of us needed support learning how to read and the other didn't, but we still both ended up being. You got there and read. loved reading. Yep. So long as you don't make it into a big hairy deal, I know you know, my siblings, which ones needed support and which ones didn't, because it wasn't made a big deal. It was just, this is just what you do. Yeah. You know, you need help with this. I give it to you. You need and help. I'm sure there were other things they were great at and didn't need help at, right? Like, right. Is unique. well, it's, it's interesting too, because to speak to kind of this, the parent experience, I mean, every parent, whether they're getting mad and making it a big hairy deal, the truth is it's all coming from the same place that parents want their child to have the skills. They want them to succeed. They want them to have a chance in life to make it and do well. Um, and so for parents who've been, uh Oh, I have not been doing this right. Uh Oh, like I want parents to hear and both of us can reassure our parents that, that you can always repair it. You can always change it. And you can always go back and say, you know what? I don't think this has been working. I don't think this has been fun at all. And I don't like the way I've been sounding when we've been doing this, reading doesn't have to be like this. Let's switch it up. Right. Yeah. And that's perfectly okay. And it's showing your child, you care, you're listening and you're paying attention. Yeah. And I mean, like I have a, a dear friend who I've known since high school and she contacted me because she was, her son was struggling with reading. He was in first grade, first grade struggling with reading. And she's like, we're doing all the things. Her husband was uh, trying to do games with him and they had all these books and he can't read these books and they're level one books. So I said, give them to me, Let, show me we're on zoom. <laughs> she opens the book and I went, Oh honey, those are like third grade level words. She said, but it said level one step into reading. And this is what irritates me because parents already have enough on their plate yes. and the things are mislabeled. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Oh no. Kid, well, my kid can't do it. So they must be behind. No, no, that's not the right resource for them. It's mis it's mislabeled. Yeah. So that's another oh, that's huge. Yeah. It, it's, it's awful because I can just see the stress and I'm just like, oh no. So we went book shopping and I said, oh, let no. me show you the books that are at his level. And these are the books he can read. You read those other ones to him. 
Love so that. you can always fix it. It doesn't, you need, you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater or anything like that. Just, you just slight, a slight um, shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to, to move forward. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if we could take just a second to kind of think about, and you can help us with this. Like what, what is going, like help parents understand what is going on in a little brain that's learning how to read. What are all the mechanics? What's happening in that little brain? Cause there is so much going on, right? Like just simply, if you think about letters, just learning your letters. So you grow up learning that doesn't matter what you hold up, however you turn it, objects don't change what they are based on how you rotate them, right? Mm-hmm. And then you show them a B and a P and a Q and a D. And now all of a sudden, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Oh, how you <laughs> rotate things in space does change what this is. Like right there, like that's mind blowing. Yeah. We don't think about that as parents. So give us a walk through in the mind of a little kid learning how to read. What, what tasks are happening? What's the load? What's going on for them? Well, what I like to tell parents is you put things into two buckets. Speaking and listening is a natural part of a typically developing child. They're going to learn to speak. They're going to learn to listen. That's it. Mm -hmm. When it comes to reading, we are asking them to do something that is really unnatural. We are taking um, scripts that we have all decided as a collective mean this this. symbol means this. Mm -hmm. And they're going from, like you said, a very concrete um, way of being to now you're asking them to get into the abstract. That is higher level thinking for someone who doesn't have a fully developed frontal lobe. Yes, that's a lot. Yes, this is why the I tell parents that when they are trying to teach letter sounds, and you'll see this in kindergarten, how we, there's a lot of movement involved because the body remembers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like we may not, we're trying to bridge that, that gap between concrete and abstract and the body will help us do that. So there are things like when we're talking about um, different letter sounds, some teachers, I used to use my shoulder, elbow, wrist for each sound. It sounds so funny. And then it's man. How fast can you go? So you're. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. (laughs) It It makes sense though. It really does. Yeah. You, as a, as a child, you're, you have to help them match concrete to abstract. That's what you need to do. That's why there are so many tools like um, sound boxes that help them visualize Mm -hmm. the different sounds, the elegant boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, they're very good for helping children see what we're trying to tell them because there's, what was that? I was watching something that was talking about how we as humans in general, when we talk about something, you see it in your head before, you know, I can't picture myself doing that, but mm-hmm. we need yep. to see it. So we need to help them see it like in real life, what we're asking them to do. I'm asking you to make a p sound. This is what that p sound looks like when you see it, it looks like this this is but when I flip it yeah oh it's different you know it's <laughs> yeah wow yeah it's a lot for a li- and they're figuring out all kinds of other things too at the same mm-hmm. time feelings and emotions and and my teeth are falling out of my head <laughs> yeah how is that happening and yeah and and it just sort of also at four and five realizing they're not babies anymore 
So I'm separate from mommy and daddy and who am I and what does that mean? And yeah, it's negotiating with peers because yeah. adults treat me completely differently than these ones that are my age. They don't seem to have enough grace for me. <laughs> mommy and daddy. Uh, th and then add, add media and social media and computer games and all of that, which is not going away. It is, if anything, it's going to be more intense and more sophisticated, but it also pulls them into a world where things are more immediate. There's more mm -hmm. rewards right away for things. Real life things take a little longer and they're a little harder. They can be more rewarding, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting time. There's a lot. So I, I love that. So movement, um, Oh, you were saying so many, many, Let, let's go back to the track. I feel like you want, I, you need to finish that. I took you off track there. We were okay. talking about things parents can do. Oh no. What's going on in the brain in the of a brain. kid learning to read. Okay. So you got all that. You got sounds, you've got abstract. You're, you're moving to the concrete of the abstract. What else do parents need to know? What else is going on in their little one's brain? They are also, um, they're attaching the, the sounds to those, um, those scripts that like, I, like I said, yeah. so what parents need to understand is, like I said, you will read how you speak, mm. how they are speaking. Are you using correct pronunciation for these things? Because mm -hmm. I have, when I was in the, in the middle East, that was something we had to actually talk to our teachers about. Mm -hmm. You need to speak properly to these children. Um, and it was at first we thought, oh, it's the English teachers because we were coming from Ireland, Scotland, UK, South Africa. We all had our different accents and little sure. ways we said things. Yeah. And so then we had to, okay, this is how we speak. And then even with the Arabic, it was okay. You can't Jordanian, uh, wow. <laughs> Syrian. You need to speak Arabic, pure Arabic to the children because how you speak is how they will read. So yeah. I think something that uh, parents need to be cognizant of as well, because if you are using word, if you are saying words and like um, using slang and then dropping words, yeah, dropping super sounds, you're dropping the ending. Yeah. When they yeah. see that word in front of them, yeah. they don't have that. I call it a filing cabinet mm -hmm. in their head to pull yeah. that knowledge back um, for them. And, and we then, all do that. And we don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And that is why we sound so funny kindergarten teachers <laughs> well that's why no that makes perfect sense though right it has to be a little more precise mm -hmm. because they will they we want your modeling all the time yeah. you are on stage modeling for little children all the time so you have to be very um aware of that and um I think the other thing really is patience and repetition they need to remember that these grooves are being built. These, um, what are they called? Um, I called them grooves in the brain. Well, they're neural pathways. Like the neural pathways are yeah, being yeah. built. So they need that repetition. The more you do it in fun ways, the deeper the pathway is. So then they really, it's easier for them to recall those things and use them effectively. Absolutely. And I think that's why I know it gets annoying you don't want to read the same book 50 million times, read the book <laughs> 50 million times. Yeah. You have to, it, it, it's true. And, and the, the, sometimes we get so freaked out as parents and we think, why do I have to say this so many times? Or why do we have to do this so many times? But that is why the brain mm -hmm. is building. Yeah. It's building itself. And it's a very complex thing. And I want to throw in like a couple of things, which I'm sure you, you can relate to as well. Like sleep. So important. 
like it's so huge because kids literally learn in their sleep that's where there's a download and then while they're sleeping that's where the brain is creating all those newer pathways that's where that repetition really sets in and then the next day there it is right so sleep good nutrition also Uh really important and i love what you said like patience and trust and it and the truth is it, it works out i mean some kids it comes at different times and and we haven't touched on, and actually we probably should talk in a minute, just a, just a few minutes on what if you, what if it looks like your child is struggling? What if it looks like there is something else going on? What if it looks like, you know, there's some kind of learning gap or disability that's happening? What, what things can parents do? But honestly, most of the time, it's just one of the, it's like toilet training. It's like, you put all this effort in and it's like, I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of happens. It, it happens. You look for the cues right look for the cues and I always say kids will tell you even if they can't verbalize it that they're ready they will show you because I've I've seen it I I remember teaching in Cameroon and I taught this little girl who I was very concerned about for a while and then all of a sudden boom she was there and I went okay now she's ready for this let's go for it absolutely and they will they will show you when they're ready it just you have to pay attention I think, and and I go back to what I said in the beginning about, I don't know if I said this during the pre-interview or during in the beginning, but the way we structure society, mm. if we say parents have to pay attention to their children, you have to give them the space to pay attention to their children. Yeah. We have to right. pay attention to them so they yeah. can pay attention to their children. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's so important. It's, it's, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is an amazing conversation. So, so really quickly, if, when would a parent worry, when would they think, okay, I think we need to get an assessment or we need to go and speak to the teacher at what point. And I know it's hard to answer that question because every child is different. And sometimes kids in grade three and grade four, it'll just click. Like it's every child is different, but when, when should you look into it further? I tell parents by third grade, that is a huge indicator because um, research maps back progress to third grade. How are we doing in third grade? So if your child is really struggling in by third grade, we need to start looking at what supports we can give them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really difficult um, for some parents to accept uh, that maybe I, I may need to hold my kid back or they may need some supports. What have I done wrong? You haven't done anything wrong. Some people need more support. I needed help with math, you know? So getting by third grade, if if your child isn't clicking with uh, reading, then we need to, to look at things. And younger, there are some children who they speak later, they'll have some speech issues. By like age four or five, you may start seeing, okay, there are speech issues that I need um, support, my child needs support with. Yeah, so- Okay. That's really helpful. And that's sort of a nice marker. And there, and even if there is issues in grade three, there's lots of things that can happen and they just may, it may be their own pace. They need things taught in a different way. Mm-hmm. They might need the, the right model. It's, it's so, it's such a complex thing learning. It is. So the, and, and, and when it comes to gender, yeah. that's something else we don't oh, talk about often. Yeah. Is I, I, my background is in my bachelor's is not in early childhood education. It's in child development and child psychology. Mm-hmm. So, and we would talk about the differences in ch- development of children and we'd look at differences in gender and what they need. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about how traditional school is set up for girls. 
for the most mm. part. Interesting. And, and so they, again, KU, they drilled that into our heads that you cannot set up your classroom for just one type of kid. You need to make sure you're hitting the different ways children learn so that they have multiple bites at the apple, basically, mm -hmm. to be able to access that skill. Yes. So for example, I had my boys who just, some of them loved the blocks area. So I had to figure out how to get reading taught in the blocks area. Okay. And we're yeah. building with different words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. Which is really words. what you're doing. That's yeah. You know, so making sure that children are getting access to information in a way that works for them. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people because we have the bias of teaching the way we learn. Mm -hmm. That is true. Yeah. So really being able to step back and say, all right, the teacher says my child is having uh, issues at school, maybe. I need to ask, what methods are you using with them? So having the confidence as a parent to have that conversation with mm -hmm. that teacher who says, well, your child is struggling. Okay, well, how are you teaching? So I can know if it's something I know doesn't work for my child. Mm -hmm. And maybe we suggest something that we can both do at home. Because I've had to go to parents as well and say, hey, um, what are you doing at home? How is this working for you at home? And then yeah. we come up with a plan for that child. Love um, that. Because, you know, everybody learns differently. Everybody does. Wow. Humans are amazing <laughs> and complicated. And little humans, they're hilarious. But as they are, but there's just, it, it, it's so daunting and, and there's just so much involved in parenting. This is such an important conversation. And I think for me, there, there's been a bunch of key takeaways, but making it joyful, making it fun. You can also connect around reading. It's a lovely time in a busy, crazy world to sit and snuggle up and, mm -hmm. and read to your child, like read every night to your child. There's something so magical reading a book, reading a novel. And while you're cuddling up in your jammies and snuggling, it can be absolutely magical. I love your passion, your energy to tell us where we can find you. Tell us like where we can get some resources. So more. Facebook, I have a group called the kindergarten reading skills group. Love it. Uh, I, yeah, I was like, oh, we'll put together a group and get, uh, I can give support in there. And okay. then, um, I also have teachmykinder.com. Okay. If they go to teachmykinder.com slash connected parenting, they will, your, your listeners will be able to get a guide I've put together on the common mistakes and how to fix them. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. And there are things that I've been, that I've done for years and things that I've just remembered and like, oh, like the peak performance times. Yeah. That is brilliant. Okay. On that. So those yeah. are the two places I hang out the most. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. So thank you. And I'm sure parents will want to know more and they'll come and find you on Facebook. And this has been a delightful interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Corporal Guy. I learned a lot and I think it's such an important conversation that we had today. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember, go to connectedparenting.com to find out all about our uh, services and ways that we can help you on our connected parenting journey. My books are there, Connected Parenting, How to Raise a Great Kid, and You're Ruining My Life, Surviving the Teenage Years with Connected Parenting. We've got our online courses, two versions, one where it's just um, 
on-demand videos where you can watch and listen at your own pace and learn at your own pace. And there's another version, which is the same, except there are monthly coaching calls where I interact live with people from all over the world, answering their burning connected parenting questions. So thank you. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.